Let us now go before the Lord in prayer for his word. Heavenly Father, you instruct us by your holy scriptures. We urge by your grace to enlighten our minds and cleanse our hearts, that reading, hearing, and meditating upon them, we may rightly understand and heartily embrace the things you have revealed in them. Give efficacy to the reading of the gospel in your word, that through the operation of the Holy Spirit, this holy seed may be received into our hearts into good ground, and that we may not only hear your word, but keep it, living in conformity with your precepts, relying on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us turn our attention once again to our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Now hear the words of God. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed... Your Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, her who has, was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. During this season of Advent, we have considered that God comes in ways that we do not expect. That is to say, we have expectations of how we think God is going to operate, what He's going to do, how He's going to work out His providences in our lives. But He comes often in ways that we don't expect and maybe we don't receive well. But in fact, He does come nonetheless. We've been reminded that Jesus comes as a triumphant king who judges the nations and brings salvation and hope through that very judgment for his people. Last week we were reminded that Jesus is the center of history past, present, and the future. Today we will consider Christ's coming in the incarnation and how Mary's example is an example for the church, even every one of us on how we are to respond to God's word. We saw in our passage that Gabriel was sent by God. This is very important. This angel just didn't come on a whim. 
He came because God sent him. And he sent him to a very specific place. What is that? Galilee, named Nazareth. Sent him to a city, a particular city, a particular place. And he sent Gabriel to a particular person, a virgin, betrothed to a man, it says, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Not only that, the scripture says, and the virgin's name was Mary. God sent the angel to Mary, a particular person, at a particular time, in a particular place. God came to transform and save his people. Now we only see Gabriel, the angel of the Lord here, mentioned in three other passages. One, of course, is the announcement that God is going to bring the barrenness of her cousin, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, to an end. Gabriel announces this, that the miraculous and seemingly late timing of God's perfect will concerning Elizabeth. People of God, we've come into all types of circumstances and we think God is late. We don't understand what he's doing. Why hasn't he responded? But in his perfect will, at what again seems like a seemingly late time, the angel announces that Elizabeth, who had been barren, who had been challenged by the serpent with barrenness, was with child. Interestingly enough, in that whole part of the story, this part of history, Gabriel specifically tells Zechariah while he is serving in the temple. Zechariah is a priest and he's in the temple and he's burning the incense there before the Lord. It's at a particular time in the worship and feasting before God. And Gabriel tells Zacharias that this child, the one that he's going to bring to the barren Elizabeth, would be the one that the prophets had spoken of in the closing words of the Old Testament. Remember, 400 years has gone by. So you have Zachariah and Elizabeth, it seems like, so late in their life to bring them a child. And the angel says, this child, this is the one of whom the actual closing words of the last prophet 400 years ago spoke. Does it not seem like for all of Israel and all that are looking to Yahweh for the forgiveness of all sins of his people, a late hour, 400 years with no prophet? Malachi In in chapter 4 of Malachi, at the very end, the closing words says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So when the angel Gabriel speaks to Zacharias, he talks and says, this is him right here, the one that Malachi spoke of. And not only is there the good news of fathers and children being reconciled, but if he doesn't come, this is right before the the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. He says, if I don't come, I'll have to come and strike the earth with a curse. So again, what seems to be 
out of sync, out of time, God comes to a particular place, to Zechariah in the temple, and then says, here we go, at this late moment in your life, and what seems to be the late timing of all of Israel, here he comes, the one that's going to proclaim the word before the Son of God. The other two times that Gabriel is, um, that we see Gabriel is in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9. In Daniel 8, Gabriel comes and explains Daniel's vision of the decrees of God concerning world empires. And in Daniel 9, when during the time of Daniel's prayer of repentance, you know, Daniel was reading God's word and seeing that there's time to come out of exile. He knew it was the time. And Daniel goes before the Lord, repenting for himself and all of Israel. And he asks for God's mercy. And in the middle of that prayer of repentance, God sends Gabriel. And he's explaining to Gabriel. He says this, he gave Daniel the skill to understand his vision concerning, and what is the vision about concerning the temple, that God will bring an end to the sacrifices in the future desolate temple. There's going to be a temple built, the one after the exile. And it's going to fall into desolation where the Spirit of God is not there. And what will he do? We see that these passages, here where God is speaking, he's going to build a temple, a new temple, not made with human hands. And so these passages in Luke and Daniel are reminders of God's defeat of the serpent and the serpent's attempts by barrenness to prevent the seed and the establishment of the temple, not made by human hands, but rather those that are made by God. In fact, you and I, upon the foundation, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Now, in, in our passage in Luke, we see that Gabriel comes and speaks of God's great coming. And in this, we see the unmerited grace of God bestowed upon Mary. Verse 28 says this, Luke chapter 1, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know, Mary is troubled when the angel comes and doesn't know what kind of greeting that Gabriel brings. It can be hard for us to believe God's grace for us. We know that we are sinners, and it appears in this case that Mary recognizes that she's a sinner too, and Mary is afraid. We know this because Gabriel says to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. That is to say that God has pursued Mary with grace. God has gifted grace to Mary. This is very important. We must recognize that all gifts come from the grace of God. We need to understand that sometimes people read these passages and they get a wrong idea of who Mary was. We need to understand the truth of the doctrines of Mary. There are some that hold that Mary was sinless. And in order to do that, they have to conceive of an immaculate conception of Mary. Not just Jesus, but of Mary. 
And that is wrong. This is incorrect. Mary is an object of grace. God sends Gabriel to Mary not because she is worthy, but because she is the recipient of God's grace. And we know this because Mary herself recognizes it just a little while later in the song of praise that we call the Magnificat. In verse 46 of Luke 1, Mary sings this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Now this is important. What does this, what does this word, the, these words lowly state mean? In the Greek, this concept of lowly means a humble, spiritual abasement, a tearing down, leading one to perceive and lament his or her moral littleness and guilt. I know that's a long definition. Let me say that again. When Mary says that God has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, he is, she is saying that she is humbled, that she is spiritually low, and it leads her to perceive and lament her moral littleness and her guilt. We also see, as Mary continues in the Magnificat, For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Now this word blessed, this particular word blessed, only shows up twice in the New Testament. And what this word blessed means, fortunate because of God's grace. She's blessed not because... She's some great woman all by herself. It is because she has been blessed with the mercies and grace of God. God pursued her. The only other time we see this particular word blessed is in James 5, where the word blessed is in regards to the perseverance of Job in hardship that God has providentially brought. Think about this. The blessedness, the grace of God is given to us to help us persevere in God's hard providences for us. Also, Mary continues her song of praise in verse 49 where she says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary understood that God alone was her Savior, and that she was given God's unmerited favor so that God would be glorified and so that we all could be recipients of the mercies of Jesus Christ. Another false teaching on Mary is that Mary had perpetual virginity. Now the scriptures are abundantly clear. Jesus had brothers and sisters. And there is no way to take the Greek words that are used in Matthew 12 and Luke 18 and turn them into anything else but Jesus' own biological brothers and sisters. It can't be understood as cousins. It's his brothers and sisters. Finally, another big misunderstanding about Mary is that we need Mary to mediate for us to God. That, again, is false. We are not to pray to Mary as a mediator, to Jesus, to God, or for anything. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So let us remember that Mary is an object of God's grace and mercy and blessing. 
just like God works in our lives. Now it's interesting because the angel is going to tell her about the incarnation. And we see that the incarnation of Jesus isn't when he is born, but in fact at conception. Christmas is not when Jesus was, was clothed with humanity. Jesus became a man that is a person in the flesh at conception. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, Jesus humbly clothed himself with flesh as even the smallest person that can be conceived. In your smallest state, you've been given life by God. Philippians 2.5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now God came to us. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus came to do all the things that men do. He came to face all that we face, including gestation. God is not distance, distant, but he comes and he dwells with his people. C.S. Lewis in his book, Miracles, calls the incarnation the grand miracle from which all other miracles emanate. The incarnation is a great event that speaks to Jesus coming to be born as we were born in a woman by a woman. By the way, God knows what a woman is. God defines what men and women are. The wonder of the grace of the incarnation is that the incarnation was for us, you and I, to be at peace with our holy God. The church father Athanasius expressed it in this way concerning Jesus' incarnation. For of his becoming incarnate, we were the object and for our salvation. Christ's coming, people of God, was God's grace to each one of us and for our salvation. Now, Gabriel is continuing on in his, his conversation with Mary. And he says that Jesus is going to fulfill all the things spoken of him. Gabriel speaks to Mary, saying, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. We heard that very thing today in our readings, did we not? Here it's going to be fulfilled. Now it's, it's important for us to remember Jesus is merely the Greek rendering of Joshua, which means salvation. Jesus is a new Joshua and will bring God's people into the promised land by defeating our enemies. The promised land is reconciliation to God the Father. And our enemy is sin, which brings about death and separation from God our Father. It says that Jesus will be great, the great God and Savior. We see that in Titus 2. We see that He is the great high priest in Hebrews 4, and that He is the great shepherd in Hebrews 13. 
And Jesus is the Son of the Highest, the Son of God. We see this spoken of in Matthew 4. Even Satan in Matthew 4 knows that Jesus is the Son of God. We see in Matthew 8 that the demons declare that Jesus is the Son of God. We see the Gospel writer in Mark 1 declare it. And in 1 John chapter 5, we see that Jesus is the Son of God and that only life comes from Him. Jesus will sit on the throne of David and it will have no end. It's interesting because, again, we read this passage today in 2 Samuel 7. Nathan brings the words of God to King David. And he says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this was fulfilled in part by Solomon. But Jesus is the greater Solomon who reigns forever and is building a house for God's name, even right now. The house that Jesus builds is upon himself as the chief cornerstone. And with all the saints, including you and I, are the stones of that temple of the Lord. Now in all these things, Mary knows the scriptures. She had some understanding of the magnitude of what the angel was saying. She also knew that God delivered his people through his providences that were both gracious and difficult for his people. God's providences, hear this please, God's providences are for our good and his glory. And we will see in Mary's response to God's message by Gabriel that Mary devotes herself to God for God's good pleasure. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her, answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. You know, Mary was not ignorant. She understood the ordinary means of conception through sexual relations. She wanted to understand how this would be as she was not married and had never had any sexual relations. In our lives, we will want to understand God and His providential actions in our lives. Mary's not sinning here by asking to understand. By God's grace, Gabriel answers Mary. And he says this, The Spirit will come, and the power of the Spirit will overshadow Mary. And because of this overshadowing, this child will be the Holy One, the Son of God. There is grace in the shadow of the Spirit. Psalm 36, verse 7 says this, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And we see in Hosea chapter 14, verse 7, Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be 
the wine of Lebanon. God graciously offers a test case for this impossible word. Think on what Mary's hearing and what she's trying to work through. Satan from the very beginning has been trying to prevent the seed of the woman through barrenness. She knew of Sarah. She knew of Rebecca and Rachel and Manoah's wife, Hannah. And now, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. Gabriel announces to Mary that Elizabeth, the barren woman, is already six months along. Gabriel declares nothing is impossible with God. There's a great lesson for every Christian here. God did not explain in detail the incarnation in a way that Mary, Mary truly understood. She didn't understand how God was going to do the impossible. Again, I admonish you all, listen to Mary's response. She doesn't understand how it's all going to work together, but she declares this, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Mary declares that she is a servant of the Lord, and she willingly submits to the providences of God in her life, even though she doesn't understand all that it means. One commentator explains that providence is how God works out his decrees in specific space, time, and history. God had decreed that a son would come in the flesh through Mary to deliver his people from their sin. God's providential actions to accomplish his will for Mary and the world would not just be happy times. It wouldn't just be, yay. No, rather, Mary, like her Savior Jesus, could not shrink back from the challenges before her. But she looked to the joy before her. Mary looked through the suffering because it would bring blessing to the world. Mary knew that being pregnant was going to have consequences. Who would believe her explanation for being pregnant? Her town? Her family? What about her betrothed Joseph? She knew that she would likely become an outcast. God graciously intervened with Joseph, and they both took on the apparent shame. Now, this shame actually follows Mary and Jesus through their lives. The rumor persisted, and we see in John 8 that the scribes and Pharisees in the temple defend their supposed righteousness against Jesus by saying, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God follows Jesus into his ministry. Mary decided to take and see all of God's providences as his grace to her. Again, Mary is the example for the whole church. Mary declares that she is the Lord's servant, and she joyfully submits to the word of God. She remembers all the great and impossible things that God has done throughout all of his word, starting with what? what the angel reminded her of, all of the barrenness that God had overcome. But then she thinks back to all of the times that God intervenes for his people. She knows Jeremiah 29 where it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, 
says Yahweh, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. People of God, we need to remember that in the hard providences, God says that he has thoughts of peace for us, not evil. And these thoughts of peace are to give us a future and a hope. We have to believe God's word like Mary. We must have joyful gratitude for the difficult things God brings with his gifts. We must remember his mighty acts so that you and I do not lose heart in the dark days. Joy supplants sorrow. We must accept with our mind and believe with our heart the promises of God. When it looks hopeless, remember God's word so that you can persevere with joy and holy confidence. We should live joyfully, expecting God to do wondrous things on our behalf. All things are possible with God. Like Mary, we the church are the warrior bride called to join the great bridegroom trampling Satan underfoot. In Romans 16, 20, speaking to the church, the word of God declares, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And the scriptures say, Amen. The death blow has been given by the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. But the bride gets the pleasure of crushing Satan further. We must stop with vigor and joy. We must be willing to obey regardless of the cost. We must die to ourselves and trust and obey. We must hear the gospel and respond as Mary with a willing heart and obedient actions. God's goodness leads to repentance, Romans 2. This is the purpose of Jesus' advent, to come so that we might repent. His coming brought His glory to us. The glory of the Lord shining all around means that you and I are exposed. It is a grace of God exposing our sins that we may repent. This is why Jesus has come. So rejoice! And the same Spirit that overshadowed Mary will come to us and dwell in us to strengthen us to all that God has called us to do. We can worship and go out joyously to bring glory to the Father. Advent is a time of repentance as we look forward to God's mercy so we can live obediently, joyfully, and full of gratitude in the gifts of God's providence. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season of Advent where you remind us that your undeserved favor is upon us. You have not left us without hope. Nothing is impossible for you. With your mercy, deliver us from fear and unbelief, no matter what is going on around us. Help us to joyfully live as your humble servants, submitting to all your providences in our daily lives. May we too say in all things, let it be according to your word. We ask all these things for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, 
forever and ever. Amen.